Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. Thanks for tuning in today. I mentioned earlier this week that we had a lot to unpack and that we would spend a lot of time breaking down our September camp and just the aftermath of this group after our final friendly that took place on Tuesday afternoon against Saudi Arabia. I think for the vast majority of us that watched both of these friendlies during this cycle, we were left underwhelmed, maybe even a bit deflated, given how much hope we had and our high expectations of this current squad. So today, I will give my reactions to this entire camp. I will break down the players, the coaching staff, and what we need to do in the next 50 days in order to be competitive at the World Cup. I also have had a lot of questions come in during camp that I want to make sure to answer as well. But before I get into our topics and kick off the show, I want to give proper call-outs to our beer features this week, if you will. Soccer is secondary to the actual events that have taken place this week with the impact that Hurricane Ian has had in Southwest Florida and all of Florida and South Carolina, North Carolina, and so on in general. It has been devastating for many folks. The damage is incomprehensible. Processing all of this is going to take a lot of time. It hits near and dear to me because I've spent three years in the Fort Myers, Florida area, and many of my close friends took the brunt of the hurricane head on, bunkered up in their homes. It hasn't been a great week for them. So for today's episode, I want to feature and support all of the breweries in Florida that we can. There are several local craft breweries that are members of the Florida Brewers Guild, including my friends in Fort Myers from Palm City Brewing, that could use our support right now. There are certain breweries that lost everything, that have had to scramble and figure out ways to keep their businesses going. So anything we can do to support them would be super helpful. So what I would like to do this week is feature the entire guild, which is the nonprofit trade association committed to preserving the rights and interests of all craft brewers throughout the state. There are way too many breweries that are members of the guild than I can speak of, but I will, what, what I will do is put a link up on Instagram and Twitter for anyone to look up and go and try to find some of their beers, buy them, drink them, support them during their tough time in their state. So to all my Florida friends, Cheers to you this week. Well, if you were like me Tuesday afternoon after the men's national team drew nil-nil against Saudi Arabia, you were left with a very uneasy feeling, lacking confidence, and left wondering, are we as good as we thought we were? I tried to give myself a 24-hour rule where I tried not to make any emotional reaction to the result, and I tried to be objective with my analysis of the performance. Then, after 24 hours went by, I said, Maybe I need to give myself 48 hours. And then I realized it's okay to feel the way we are, to have the reactions that we had. We should feel bad about what happened. This entire camp was unacceptable. And I firmly believe we took a step back from where we needed to go. So whose fault is it? First off, I will take some blame myself. Maybe I overhyped this team up for for you too much. Maybe I set some unrealistic expectations. Maybe I overlooked the fact that this team is so young and have a big learning curve ahead of them. Maybe I forgot how much I dislike Greg Berhalter leading this team that I tried to make myself believe that our talent was enough to help overcome his shortcomings as an international manager. So where did we go wrong? I will start off by saying this team began the match against Saudi Arabia much better than they did against Japan last week. They had some promise early on, and it looked like the squad were going to deliver a solid performance. But then the little mistakes kept piling up. 
They became disjointed again and ultimately lacked the intensity and the fight that we need to see in the U.S. team. It was predictable. For a group of individuals that are fighting to earn a coveted spot on a World Cup roster, you wouldn't have been able to tell it. At times, I was blaming players for that. Then I blamed the coaching staff for ultimately it being their job to get their team up for it. Then all of the conspiracy theories and thoughts crept into my head. Is this a unified team? Do the star players even want to play for Greg Berhalter? Why aren't certain players getting a fair look? It doesn't feel that way for any of these questions. And that's bothersome. We started the match with our usual 4-3-3 formation with Matt Turner starting in goal again. Turner made two key saves, commanded his space well, and looked confident. He has all but secured his place as the starting goalkeeper come November. In defense, though, there were immediate question marks when the lineup came out. DeAndre Yedlin started it right back. Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman were again at center back, and Serginho Dest moved over to left back. Now, if you watch the Japan match, you could tell Long wasn't up for it. He played poorly, very poorly. He didn't pass the ball well. He put the team in, <clears throat> in several bad positions and was subbed off at halftime. Zimmerman had some struggles as well. He looked uncomfortable and shaky. And starting Yedlin at right back and moving Dest to left back, where he can play because he has that versatility, but it was still a bit of a head scratcher. Why do you ask? Well, because you have a player in the squad named Joe Scaly, who, is, who has started every single week in the Bundesliga, who hasn't gotten a look, and he can play left back as well. Greg always says one thing. He says he knows what certain people can do, so he wants to look at others. So why isn't Scaly starting at either outside back spot? Yedlin did play well, but to Greg's point, we know what he can do. We know what Des can do too. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Same goes for Long and Zimmerman. You brought in Mark McKenzie, who came on for Long at halftime of the Japan match and looked much better. You brought in Eric Palmer Brown as well, who is playing regularly in the French League. You know what you have in Long and Zimmerman. So it's just very contradicting stuff, in my opinion. Into the midfield, we actually started with the group I predicted on Monday. Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta, and Weston McKinney gave us a more traditional two defensive center midfield look with McKinney being allowed to press forward more, and that was evident from the opening whistle. McKinney made numerous runs deep behind the defense that helped open things up that were sorely missing against Japan. But as the game went on, those runs stopped and the unit again didn't look as lively as they needed to be. But I had no issues with lining up like this to start. One thing that is for certain after this entire camp is just how much we missed Eunice Musa in there. Well, up top, we went with Christian Pulisic on the left, Ricardo Pepe in the center, and Gino, Gio Reyna on the right, which was the three I also predicted should start. So no issues with this group either. But Pepe really had a chance to shine, and in about an hour of work, he only had 13 touches on the ball and didn't threaten the defense once. It was a bit of a letdown, but not as big of a letdown as it was to see Reyna being subbed off with a slight muscle strain after 29 minutes. So Greg has to throw on Brendan Aronson, right? Wrong. He puts in Paul Areola, a favorite of Greg's. Someone Greg knows very well. Someone Greg knows what he can do. Why not see how Aronson looks up top with Pulisic and Pepe together? Why not try to build some chemistry with your potential A-squad players? Because it's Greg, that's why. 
Have you seen a theme to how I feel about this group and the reasons for the shortcomings yet? But wait, there's more. I mentioned the substitution of Areola Ferreira after a half hour. In the second half, we brought on the other five subs that we were able to. In the 60th minute, we made three more subs. We brought on Mark McKenzie for Aaron Long again. We finally gave Joe Scaley his chance and brought him on for Yedlin. And in another absolute head-scratching move, he brought on Jesus Ferreira for Ricardo Pepe rather than give Josh Sargent another 30 minutes of action. So a couple thoughts on these subs. I thought Yedlin played very well on the right side of defense. If he cleaned up a few of his crosses into the box, he could have really provided a nice spark into the attack. He has proven himself as a leader in this team, something that is lacking right now, and he has earned his place on this World Cup roster, 100%. But Scaly came on and played very well himself. He was lively. He played with confidence. I thought in 30 minutes he did enough for me to know that he can provide some valuable depth on this team. McKenzie came on, but he didn't have much to do. He passed well, but he didn't have much too much of a challenge from Saudi Arabia. And as for Ferreira, he had a shot on goal, which I should add was only our second shot on goal this entire camp. But he contributed more than Pepe did. But you brought Josh Sargent into this camp, who was in form, who has been out of the national team picture for quite some time now, and you don't use him. I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> And then after the game, Greg says that Ferreira gave this team the best chance to score a goal and win. I mean, I just have to shake my head at that. It makes no sense whatsoever. It is also extremely disrespectful to Sargent to say something like that openly. And Greg knows what he has with Ferreira. So take the time to evaluate Sargent to see what he has rather than sit him on the bench. Just more contradictions from Greg. And with about 15 minutes left in the match, we made our final two subs by bringing on Malik Tillman for Pulisic and Aronson on for McKinney. Neither really had much time to make an impact, but the part of this that was notable was Pulisic sprinting off of the pitch, throwing the captain's armband to Tyler Adams and high-fiving all of the players before moving right past Greg without a high-five and sitting on the bench. Maybe it wasn't on purpose. Maybe it was just to speed up to run off the way he did. But it was something I saw that made me go, huh, that's interesting. At the end of the day, we drew nil-nil. It was played in front of maybe 300 people in an empty stadium in Spain. The atmosphere was lacking. The performance and effort was lacking. And after the match, Greg put the blame on the team, saying there weren't many players who performed up to their level and that they lacked confidence because they are all fighting for roster spots. He said they were playing with nerves because of that, so they couldn't play up to their normal levels. I don't know about you, but if a coach of mine were to publicly go out and say these things, it wouldn't give me much confidence in that coach. It wouldn't make me motivated to play for that coach. Greg said he was given clarity about certain players and said things became pretty clear. When a reporter followed up by asking, What became clear? Greg responded with, things. Well, Greg, the only thing that became clear this cycle is your inability to manage this national team, your inability to adapt to the situation, and that you are way over your head leading us into a World Cup. And I say that because what do we need to do now? Where to next? How do we move on, try to put this camp behind us, and gain some positivity moving into the World Cup? 
It's going to be hard to do. We won't be together until five days before our first match kicks off. That gives us very little time to get it right. It doesn't give us much hope to feel great about it. I said it earlier, this felt like we took a step backwards, and I think that was being generous. We have some big issues to work on. So let's start with the most popular issue and the one that I have been most vocal about today. The coaching staff and philosophy needs to change moving forward. And I don't mean we need to fire Greg. That is not what I am saying, nor do I think that would be smart to do with such little time to bring in a replacement. But what I do mean is Greg needs to stop being so arrogant with his communication, with his vision, and with his system that he won't break away from. For those of you that are casual fans, A system is what you implement at the club level, where you get to train with your team every single day. You can choose your system and then sign players that fit into your system. With a national team, you can implement a style, a formation, and then you fit your system to the players you have at your disposal. By forcing this system of Greg's onto the national team, he is holding back any creativity this group can have together. He is restricting their abilities, and he is using players who fit his system who aren't the best choices to be on this team. If Greg doesn't get out of his own way and doesn't allow this team to be free-flowing, let their own abilities dictate the system, then we aren't going to be successful at the World Cup. So hear me out on this. A stat came out this week showing Greg's top 11 players used since he was hired back in December of 2018, almost four years with this group. The top 11 players used, eight are from Major League Soccer. Most capped is Paul Ariola with 30 appearances. His favoritism to certain guys is mind-blowing, but they fit his system. In the build-up to Tuesday's match, Greg actually said he didn't need Ricardo Pepe to come out and score five goals. He just needed a striker to play in his system. The outrage from fans and even ridicule within the media was unbelievable. I mean, who says that? We got two shots on goal and you make a statement about not needing a striker to score five goals? You just need him to play your system? Get out of here. Greg's reluctance to make changes, to adapt to the situations he gets in, or to allow his players to be themselves and play to their abilities is what is limiting this team. His track record has never been great, though. He was fired as a manager in Sweden's second division because his team wasn't providing enough in their attack offensively. He was basically a 500 manager in Major League Soccer. In 193 matches that he managed, he won 74 times. He lost 70 times. And he drew 49 times. That doesn't exactly scream greatness. He has never won any titles either. So how did he get the prestigious job to manage the U.S. national team? Well, To his credit, he did play for the U.S., he did play in a World Cup, but his brother was CFO when he was hired. I'm sure that had nothing to do with anything. I'm sure it was an honest and transparent hiring process in U.S. soccer. I believe that. Sure, it had to be. He was the best candidate for the job. He had the track record I just stated, right? I'm really worried about the state of this team after what I just saw over the past two weeks. I was really excited. I was really hopeful. But between what I saw on the field and what I just saw from the from the bench, it really has lowered my expectations a lot. 
Now, there are two more things that I really worry about as well. The first of which hasn't been talked about in the media. I don't think the players respect Greg anymore. Watching their body language, watching how they reacted to Greg barking instructions at them, watching their post-match interviews, this isn't a team that believes in the man leading them. This is a team that knows they can do better. They know they are better. Some of them play for some of the greatest leaders in world soccer. Then they come into camp and have Greg trying to fit them into his system. The system that hasn't worked in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. The system that was so exposed by Japan on Tuesday that you just knew it would change for Saudi Arabia, but it wasn't. This crappy system that our world-class players can't get behind. That's my worry. What do players think when someone like Jordan Pifak is scoring goals at ease in one of the biggest leagues in the world in the Bundesliga and doesn't get called into camp? What do guys think when their manager continues to select a center back in Aaron Long to start when there are other guys rated higher than him and are more proven than him internationally, but they can't even get into the squad? The funniest thing about all of this to me and what is most telling to me is that none of our so-called star players have ever come out and publicly supported Greg. Not a single one. And I said so-called star players. I didn't say his MLS favorite players who will rave about him. It's something to watch for. It's real. And if something isn't done about it soon, it could turn toxic amongst this group. You won't hear mainstream media speak of it. They wouldn't dare go against U.S. soccer for fears of losing their TV rights and broadcasting rights. That wouldn't be fair reporting for them to call them out on something so blatant. But what do I know? Which leads me to my final worry. I don't think anything is going to change before November from this. I don't think Greg is going to completely change things up. I don't think he is even capable of doing so. I don't think that he is going to risk the loyalty he has with a lot of his favorites in order to allow, arguably, more talented individuals into the squad who could help contribute, again, arguably more. We have so much talent in our current player pool, but I think we're going to see three to four players that should be on our World Cup roster be left at home to watch in favor of unproven guys on the international level for club and country. I'm not saying that guys who play in the MLS shouldn't be a part of this squad. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying there are certain MLS players that have never proven themselves to be big-time contributors. And we have seen enough of them to know that they can't impact a game the way we need them to at the World Cup level. MLS players that should make this World Cup roster are as follows. Walker Zimmerman, DeAndre Yedlin, Kellen Acosta, Jesus Ferreira. That's it for me. Miles Robinson would have been a lock as well. MLS players that will make this World Cup roster, though, in addition to the four I just said, Paul Areola, Jordan Morris, Aaron Long. There will be seven, maybe eight, if Greg thinks that Christian Roldan should be there for the vibes. The common denominator in every single issue or theme today is Greg Berhalter. Maybe I am being too harsh. Maybe I am being too negative. Maybe I am being too pessimistic over two friendlies. Maybe I should listen to Greg and understand that these professionals were just too nervous because they were worried that if they played poorly, they wouldn't make the final roster. Unfortunately, I can't blame this team. I can only blame Greg for this. But hey, let's end things with some positivity before we move into questions. We were missing some key players this camp due to injuries. Surely, 
once they are healthy and good to go, they will provide a spark and provide some much-needed bite to this team and help improve us. Surely they will, right? All right, so I had a lot of questions come over this week, mostly with the same mentality that I had. Negativity was really strong this week. A lot were about Greg. A lot were about player selection. A lot were around projecting the World Cup roster. I answered a couple on Instagram yesterday, but here are some others. First up, Greg mentioned the other day that there were five players not in camp who are starters on this team right now. Who was he talking about? And yeah, this was another really controversial statement from Greg this week. Definitely a couple of names that are 100% starters, and we knew that. Anthony Robinson will start at left back. Yunus Musa will definitely start in the central of midfield. Tim Weah was out injured, and most likely Greg feels he is our starter on the right flank, and that's fine. I like all three of those names. Chris Richards was missing in camp, and based on what I saw from our center backs, I would immediately slot Richards into the starting lineup. But the fifth player, he couldn't be talking about Jordan Fox since he didn't bring him to camp, and he truly can't be thinking Zach Steffen would be a starter over Matt Turner. Maybe he was really going out on a limb and saying Miles Robinson, if he were healthy, would be a starter at center back. I just don't know. I don't know a lot of what really goes through Greg's mind since so much of what he says is so contradicting. He just never seems to make a lot of sense, especially right now. Up next, how certain are you that there will not be any surprises in the final World Cup roster? And yeah, I won't make my full World Cup roster prediction until probably next week. But what I can say to this question is that if you weren't involved in any matches over the past six to nine months, you will not hear your name called. I also don't think it's great news for you if you weren't involved in this camp, barring some type of injury. I'm looking at you, Jordan Peefock. I'm looking at you, James Sands. Both guys that I believe could help this team if needed tremendously. <clears throat> we had the surprise inclusion of Julian Green back in 2014. Seemingly came out of nowhere, but he was with the team for a couple of months prior to camp. So he was at least around the squad. So unless Clint Dempsey says he is in peak shape and wants to come out of retirement to play as a number nine for us, I wouldn't expect any surprises. Finally, should we all expect failure at the World Cup after these two disaster games? All right, and I know a lot of today has been doom and gloom. A lot of negativity for me, a lot of hate and propaganda being spewed in Greg's direction. Some of it is deserved, of course. I think more than anything, we learned that we are not ready to compete at the World Cup today. We learned we aren't going to be able to walk through, waltz through our group stage matches and move into the knockout stage without a serious fight on our hands. We're going to have to figure out a lot of internal struggles and power in order to be successful. We aren't going to have it easy against Wales and Iran. They will be extremely difficult opponents to beat. I want to remind everyone that on paper, we have the most difficult group in the entire tournament based on FIFA rankings. However, we are a capable group that can play great soccer at times. If we can find some consistency and figure out how to play, be disciplined, but creative in the right moments, we will have success. I do think missing Anthony Robinson and Wea and Musa was a big issue for us in each phase of the pitch. I still have hope. I still have high, albeit more tempered, expectations. Despite my personal feelings about Greg coming out of this window and truly the entire four years he's been manager, I think we can still handle business. 
We just played two friendlies against teams we never play in environments that weren't ideal for preparation for World Cup send-off matches. We played in front of around 10,000 mostly Japanese fans in Germany and then in front of less than 400 people total in Spain against Saudi Arabia. We will be playing in front of at least 40, 60, or 80,000 fans at every single World Cup match. It will be a completely different atmosphere for these players. The World Cup is special. It creates a different feeling. Anything can happen. I can't sit here and pretend that everything is going to be a failure in November just because of eight days in September that weren't great. I still have hope. I still have faith in this team. And regardless of who Greg decides to bring and who he leaves at home, again, I will support them all the way to the end of their run. I still believe in them. Just please don't bring back the I believe chant, people. Let's not do that. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode and our recap of the September camp. Mostly a poor camp with disappointing results, but we move on and hope for the best. It's all we can do. Hopefully, it was a great learning experience for players and coaches alike. Next week, I'm going to take a look at our entire national team pool. Most likely, I'll make my final World Cup roster predictions, and I'll talk a bit about the U.S. women who are set to face off against England in Wembley Stadium next Friday in front of the Brown 80,000 expected fans. We are also in the process of securing some more guest hosts prior to the World Cup to add some expertise and other perspectives to the show. So we will have some exciting things happening behind the scenes. I do need your help, though. I need you to share the podcast with your social media feeds. Help expand our audience, and we need more followers of the Soccer Pints on Twitter and Instagram. So please do me a favor, and if you can share, I would really appreciate it. Continue to keep Florida in your thoughts and everyone else who is being impacted by this hurricane. Until next time, cheers, my friends.